Well, good morning, church family. Good to be in the house of God together again. Amen. And so the title of the message this morning is called Walk Worthy. Walk Worthy. It comes from Paul's admonishment. We find it in a few places, but in Colossians 1, he tells us, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The folks who are part of South Coast will remember that we talked about four things that we said we wanted to focus on as a church. And we use the acronym PICS, P-I-C-S, for a picture of what it would look like, a nice way to remember it. And we said prayer in all we do, to be people of prayer. Uh, prayer time is, is, you know, is publicly to gather together and pray together, to pray silently, to pray listening prayers, to develop a life where our prayer life is just not us talking one way, but prayer is communication, to begin to listen for the voice of the Lord. And then the I is for integrity and in how we live. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, integrity. And then C is commitment to Christ and his church and S is servanthood or living, serving others. So this morning we're going to talk about integrity, which is just living with God and living for God, living for Jesus. It's essentially bringing into alignment what the Word of God teaches and how we live, what we, what we believe, what we say we profess to believe as followers of Jesus. And it's making sure what's on the inside lines up what's on the outside. And we know we need the Spirit of God living in us. We need to be surrendered and submitted if we're to exhibit spiritual fruit, right? So integrity is a concept, and it has to do with consistency of actions, of values, of principles. It's, it's completeness. Integrity is what you see is what you get. It's walking the walk. It's James 1.22, and James says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself, but do what it says. I would add to that, do not merely listen to the word or memorize the word or post the word on t-shirts and bumper stickers and, and tell everybody else about the word, but do what it says, internalize it, live it out in your own life and in our lives. Warren Buffett once said this, if you look for people to hire, you look for three things, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if they don't have the first, the other two will kill you. If you just have people that have all kind of intelligence and all kind of energy, but they don't have integrity, then that's a liability. Integrity is everything. John Maxwell said this, and I love this definition. Integrity is deciding to integrate my heart's value into my daily actions. Integrity is deciding, is being intentional with integrating my heart's value into my daily actions. And so this morning, we're going to ask the Lord to teach each of us, and we're going to pray for open hearts and open minds. Amen? So Father, would you meet us here in this place and do what only you can do, God? Father, use me as a vessel, but the power comes from your word, from your spirit. So would you minister to us, your children, God, your church? Would you have your way in each of our lives, God? Would you, would you give us spirits to receive? Father, we pray this for everyone here, for everyone listening, God. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to read from Colossians 1, beginning in verse 19. And Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's saying, look, we haven't stopped praying for you. 
And we're praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding so you may be filled with the knowledge of God, with an understanding of God, with increased intimacy with God. And then he says this, these three critical words, so as to. In other words, we pray these things for you in order that you may. So the the knowledge is going to translate here into action. So Paul's saying, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he qualifies that by saying, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For all endurance... And patience with joy. Because how many people know it's difficult? And it seems like lately it's increasingly difficult. People have said to me, and I seem, seem to, every time I preach, I somehow get to this place where I repeat this. But people say to me all the time, it's so hard to be a Christian. You know, it's so hard. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe I'm the only one. It's so hard to be a Christian. I'll say Amen. But it's even harder not to be a Christian. It's even harder to live without the Word of God, without the Spirit of God, without the hope of Christ. That's even harder. So yes, amen, it's difficult to follow Jesus. But it's more difficult to be shifted by you know, the, the whims of culture. To, to live life without that relationship with God, without that deep relationship with one another. So Paul reminds us, as he prays for us, as he prays that we would be filled with knowledge to work in a manner worthy of God, to please him, to bear fruit, this reminder, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I don't know if if you know, but transferred means we were in one place and then he put us in another place. And it's so easy and you know for us to to look back and and I've seen people do it all the time for a host of reasons, but they, you know, God set us free and we have freedom in Christ. We've been set free, we're out of prison, and people will go back and they'll walk back in the cell and they'll lock the door. Because it's easy, it's familiar, because they think they deserve it because they believe the lies of the enemy, we have the playbook of the enemy. Strategy has not changed. One of the main things the enemy does is get you to question your identity. Did it with Jesus. Gets us to question our identity, who we are in Christ. And so Paul's reminding us, hey, you've been delivered. Hey, you've been transferred. Hey, you've been redeemed. Your sins have been forgiven. So integrity is is a realization of who we are, of a new identity, and it's relying on God for the power to walk that out, to live that out. But it's important that we don't believe the lies of the enemy. It doesn't matter how we used to live. How are we called to live now? And I said this in the first service, you know, I understand when, when people present God as a loving father, that makes sense to me. Because I have context for that. A loving father makes sense to me. I was blessed to have a loving, earthly father. But for some people, the notion of a loving father is foreign. Either they didn't have a father or their father was less than loving. And I understand that. Some people have been told their whole lives they're an accident, they're worthless, they're nothing, they're never going to amount to anything. And those lies, they get in. 
And we believe them. And sometimes we've lived lives, we've made major mistakes, and it's hard for us to get out of our own way. But our identity, I preached it last week, we are image bearers to the God who created and sustains the universe. Our hope is in Christ. Through the word of God, through the spirit, and through the church, through God's people coming together, we can become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal of the church. People are afraid. The biggest thing people are afraid of is change. Nobody likes change. I have bad news for you. The Christian life is all about change. He must increase. I must decrease. More him, less me. So we, we complicate it, but we gather together to be empowered by God's word and spirit and to spur one another on to be more like Jesus. And integrity is simply walking that out, not looking back to how we used to live. Ephesians 2, 12, Paul says this, Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ. In your life, at some point, all of us, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you weren't part of the people of God. And then he said, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our condition. There's no hope apart from Christ. There's no life, joy, ultimate meaning, value. None of those things exist apart from the one who is those things. Jesus was standing in front of Pontius Pilate, inches from his face, and Pontius Pilate asked truth himself, what is truth? Blinded to the very thing Jesus came to give us, hope. Paul says, but now, verse 13, but now in Jesus Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's important as we talk about integrity, we have to understand our identity. If we're going to talk about how we ought to live, we got to forget the past. we got to look forward to what God's going to do. So why would we continue to live as if we were far off from God still? Philippians 1.27, Paul says it again, and this time he qualifies it. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. That means live with integrity and live for Jesus if everybody around you is lying and cheating and stealing. If everything around you is falling apart. Because people are going to see and say, how in the midst of great difficulty are you still living for Jesus? And you're going to be able to testify it's all him. When my father was dying of cancer, I remember having a conversation with somebody. My father was only 56 years old. And they said, how do you have this like peace? Aren't you angry? I said, yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry about sin. I'm angry about disease. I'm angry that my father just got saved four years ago. I'm angry that I'm not going to have as much time in this earth with him as I'd like. But I can't help but be grateful for the grace of God. Because my father knew Jesus and I, my father was able, he died when I was 12 months in Teen Challenge. I had done a year in the program and he died. And I'm so grateful. And some of you guys will understand this might not make a lot of sense. But I'm grateful that I wasn't numb to the grief process. That I wasn't numb to that whole, the pain and the, that goes with losing somebody you love. I'm grateful that I was sober and that he, able, he was able to see me doing well. So am I angry? Yeah, I, I'm angry about sin and disease, but no, I'm not angry about the grace and hand of God because I see it so clearly. 
And I'm going to focus on his gratitude. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever is happening around you, because that was a testimony to this individual for me to say, it's not me. I don't have my peace. I have his peace. And I remember telling my father, because my, my sister and my, and my mom were taken care of, and I remember saying, Dad, I feel like I, I should be there. And he said, no, you're right where you need to be. You pray for me there, and I'll pray for you here. Because we knew Jesus, and we know that we're going to have eternity together. See, it's easy when life goes our way, but it's more of a testimony when we can walk with integrity, when we can have a joy and peace. doesn't mean happiness. It's not just an emotional thing. It's a peace knowing, yeah, this is a tough time right now, but God's in control. I've given a lot of thought to this topic, this idea of integrity. This idea of knowing by observation from the outside what's on the inside. And you ever meet or see somebody and you're like, I think they're a Christian. They just seem, they just seem like a Christian. And then you, you find out they are. And then I, I wonder, honestly, I have to wonder, can I be honest with you? I have to say, when people see me that don't know me, do they say that about me? Do they say, you know, there's something about that guy. There's something about the way he lives. Because we can tell people all kinds of stuff. We can say all kinds of things. But people are watching how we live. And sometimes I don't know if I'm honest, right? And so what do I get to do? I got to adjust. What am I going to do? Like Paul in Romans, I keep doing the things I don't want to do, the things I want to do I don't do. Does Paul go, I give up? No, Paul goes, thank God for the power of Jesus Christ. And he wakes up another day and he tries again. His per- perfection is impossible. I love how people say, well, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Actually, the Bible says, Jesus actually himself says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can we be perfect? No. But it doesn't mean we don't strive to. It doesn't mean with, without the power, with, with the power of Jesus, with the power of his word and spirit, that we can be becoming more and more perfect. We can be becoming perfected as we submit and surrender to him. It's not just about we know, it's what we know that translates into who we know. It's about relationship. So with Maxwell's definition, integrity, deciding to integrate my heart's value into my daily actions, what then is really in our heart? You know, I used to say to my wife, I'd say, I love you, and she'd say, show me. And for those of you who know my wife, that might sound harsh, but the reality is it's easy for me to say that. I've been saying that forever, even when my actions totally didn't show that. So her point is, I understand, and I know you're well-intentioned, but show me. Jesus said a similar thing. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus isn't arguing there for legalism. He's saying that's the goal. If you love me, you're going to trust who I am. You're going to know that I want, what, I want what's best for you. And prayer is essentially aligning ourselves with the will of God, with the heart of God, saying, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Align my heart with what you're doing. I said the other day, you know, a sign of Christian maturity isn't say, God, this is what I want to do. You know, you want to come alongside? It's looking in at what God's doing and saying, I want to be a part of that. Integrity. Not what we say necessarily, but what, what does our lives show? I've said before, if you want to look at what's important to people, look at their checkbook and their calendar. 
Because we can say all kind of things are important, but what are we doing with our time and resources? That's all we have. We have the resources God's given us, and we have the time on this earth. And what are we doing with that? If somebody looked at those things, where do we spend all of our time? We can say, I love this, I love that, but what does that show? And so as we seek to clothe ourselves with the characteristics of Jesus, we must look long and hard. Jesus, when defending himself against the religious leaders of his day, who were his enemies and and rivals, the people who became the enemies of Jesus were the people whose theology was correct. They didn't have bad orthodoxy. They had bad orthopraxy. They understood correctly. They just didn't live it out. And so they became Jesus' rivals. And in defending himself against them, he said this about his claim of being the Messiah, John 10, 25. I did tell you, but you do not believe. He said, I told you with my words, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. Jesus is saying, my life shows you who I am. How I live shows you who I am. What I do shows you who I am. What I say and what I do testify to who I am. So a person of integrity is validated by their words and their deeds. Pure in heart leads to pure in action. Integrity is making our daily actions line up with our heart's values. It's who we are when nobody's looking. You know, I think there's really like three kinds of people in the world. There's those who have no interest in following God. They either don't believe in him, they're indifferent to him, they, they just don't care about him. And it's interesting that in the church we tend to criticize those people. I, I don't have a problem when the world behaves like the world. I have a problem when the church behaves like the world. I have a problem when I behave like the world. I expect lost people to behave like lost people. People who, you know, Paul always, he says this. He always identifies proudly himself as a slave to Christ. Because Paul knows this truth. You can live as a slave to self and a slave to sin, or you can live as a slave to Jesus. But there is no other way. There is no third way. And so Paul proudly says, I am a slave to Jesus. I am a bondservant to Jesus. I am fully submitted and led by Christ himself because the alternative is I worship me. And I don't know about you, but that's a disaster. That's a disaster. So people who don't believe in God, they're indifferent, they're living their lives and they're searching for meaning and purpose and value. The best the world has to offer From day one, from the beginning of time, power, pleasure, riches, the applause of men. And they don't give much thought to God or life after death. They're ultimately fatalists. They're nihilists. There is no meeting. We're here to exist, and then we cease to exist, and it's all pointless. And so I've told people before, I had integrity as an atheist, my, the way I lived lined up with the way I viewed the world. There is no God. You're here for a moment, so you increase pleasure and minimize pain. It made all kind of sense in the world. The problem is, before externally everything fell apart, because it did, internally I had all kind of problems. Existentially I had all kind of problems. Because all the things I thought would fill me, and all, all the things I pursued left me empty, and restless, and no desire was ever enough. 
C.S. Lewis once said, if we really understood joy, true joy, we wouldn't exchange it for all the pleasure in the world, but pleasure is instantly available and joy takes time to cultivate. And so we shortcut ourselves. The best definition of sin to me is a cheap substitute for something better that God has. And so if we come to know that, if we come to believe that the life he has for us is better than the life we have for us, then integrity is easy. And so when I was an atheist, there was no question what I believed. You just looked at my life. You're like, I know what this guy's all about. Now that I profess to be a follower of Jesus, are people still looking at my life and saying, I know what this guy's all about? When people hear about my past now, and they, when people from my past hear that I'm a pastor now, sometimes they're surprised. Because I knew who I was, and I talked it, and I walked it, and I was honest. And now with Christ, I do my best to live according to that new worldview, not just intellectually, but my core heart beliefs. So that's one group of people. Then there are others. They go to church. They give to charity. Things look really good on the outside. And so if you said to them, do you love Jesus? They'd say yes. And if you said to them, do you, do you trust Jesus for forgiveness? And they'd say yes. Do you want the peace of Jesus? Yes. Do you want the joy of Jesus? Yes. Do you want to live as Jesus lived and taught? I, I don't know. I, I, I trust him enough to give, him the thing, give me the things I want, but I don't know. Do you really want to follow him? Because Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Sadly, churches are filled with people who look just like the folks living their lives still in search of meaning and purpose, still in search for what the best the world has to offer. They just put the Jesus stamp on it. Oh, I know what the Bible says. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. They want to add Jesus and eternal life to the American dream but nothing's changed. They check off being a Christian like eye color or being a Republican or a Democrat. It's just a, just a checkbox. What's your religion, Christian? I don't even, when people say, are you, you know, what's your religion or are you a Christian? Like the word Christian means 50 different things. That, you know, I say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I do my best to follow him. Because it should mean something. I'm not talking about legalism and works. I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about striving. I'm talking about running the race. I'm talking about living differently, perseverance, standing firm on the word of God, on the person of Christ. You know, we were at the huddle ups and I talked about, I know how discouraging or overwhelming it can seem when, when you ask the question, what can I do? Like you say, well, what can I do? I want to get involved. What can I do? And I know that that's like, ah, you know, maybe me, not much. I don't know. But that's the wrong question. The right question is, what can we do? Because then when you start to ask that question, and you look around and you see what God's doing in this place, week after week I hear testimonies of people's lives just being radically changed. My life is being radically changed to see what God's doing. So it's not, what can I do? What can you do? Nothing. What can I do? Nothing. What can we do with Christ together? A lot. Everything. Change the world. Unless the first group of folks hear the gospel and the spirit of God intervenes, they'll wander aimlessly for their lives. 
They'll continue to seek fulfillment in things that will never fulfill them. I want us to be the kind of follower of Jesus that, I don't know, follows Jesus. Right? No matter what the cost. You know, people have asked the question, you know, would you die for your faith? Would you die for Jesus? And, you know, you never know in the moment God can give you the strength. But we're asked, we're asked to die for Jesus a thousand times a day, to live for Jesus and die to self a thousand times a day. Every decision, every moment. I remember my father said to me before he became a Christian, he said, you just figure out what you want out of life. What are your, what are your goals? What do you want to see come to fruition in your life? And every decision, every choice you make, are you moving toward that goal or further away? And I would say as Christians, the, the stakes are even higher. And the question is, every not one day at a time, one, every interaction, every exchange, every thought, am I, am I moving closer to Jesus? Am I bringing people closer to Jesus? Or am I moving further away? Integrity is a desire and an intent to move closer and closer. I, you know, my, my, my conversion story is like a lot of yours. It was a series of decisions. It was different moments. But I remember clearly, intellectually, when I came to believe that Jesus was who he said. I had these intellectual obstacles, and I had been reading and studying. But I remember I was 22 years old. I was working at the police department. I was working an overnight shift, midnight to eight, on the desk, and I was reading mere Christianity. And finally, I felt like, not that I had no questions, but God had kind of removed those last few big boulders aside. And I remember sitting there and, and being, not only is it more likely than not, but I am convinced of the truth that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. 22 years old. It took me another 13 years before I submitted myself to Jesus. Because I still was my own king. I was in that middle. I went from the, the first group to that middle group. And everyone around me suffered. And the best thing that ever happened to me, my real moment, is when I finally, in Teen Challenge, eight months in, crying, literally snots running down, crying like a baby, saying, Lord, take my life, I'm done. I don't want to drive anymore. It's not, I, got, I got nothing left. Have your way. And that was the first time in my life I said that. You don't have to wait for the wheels to come off. You don't have to wait for things to get so bad. But following Jesus begins with going, I'm done driving. I'm no longer going to worship me. I'm going to give control to you, Lord. And I'm going to take it back a whole bunch of times because I'm imperfect but my desire is to have you lead. And I think our churches are filled with people who've never surrendered their lives to Jesus. And a lot of times it's because they're going too well. It's like, hey, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job right now, Jesus. If I get into some trouble, I'll have you drive. But right now I'm doing all right with this thing. The life you have, your best life you can imagine, doesn't compare to the life Jesus has for you. Doesn't compare. Not even close. Sometimes the best thing God can do is not answer our prayers or answer them in an entirely different way. And I've had people say, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God answers prayers. And I'll say, look at the cross. Every prayer you've ever prayed is answered at the cross. The love of God is demonstrated on the cross. The power of God is displayed on the cross. If you question whether God exists, look at the cross. 
see people all the time from South Coast will hear me say there's no better life. They'll hear, and it's kind of a phrase. But it's true. And, so, and some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're in an exchange or you're used of God, you, you have a moment and you're talking to somebody and you realize there's nothing on earth I would rather be doing than be used of God in this moment. When you see that he uses your situation and, and often your past, often your mistakes to allow you to minister to somebody else, to bring him glory. There's nothing better. There's no better feeling. There's nothing more fulfilling than saying, God, just use me in that moment. And that's not reserved for pastors. That's not reserved for certain people. Remember a few years back, I was at the wake, sadly, of a friend of mine. Overdose, had three little kids. And I was walking through the line. And I knew him and his brother when we were younger. We were all very close. But over the years, you know, we kind of, you know, weren't as close. You know, life takes you in a different way. And as I was walking through the line, his brother whispered to me, you know, he was so proud of you. What are you talking about? And he said, oh, he, he knew. He knew what you were doing. He knew you and Jamie, the stuff you were doing. He knew God was working in your life, and he was so proud of you. He told me all the time. We talked about it a lot. And he said, and you know, he trusted Jesus. He believed in God. But he just didn't think that kind of life was for him. And I thought, first of all, I had no idea he was even connected, knew anything going on in my life anymore. But I just thought, how sad that the lies of the enemy allow people to believe, ah, you know, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I don't deserve that. Note to self, none of us deserve that. None of us do. But for the grace of God. And God's grace isn't just forgiveness when we sin. Yes, it's that. But it's also power not to sin. It's also empowerment to live lives of integrity. And so what happened? My friend eventually got to the place where he was self-destructed. He, he couldn't get outside of himself. He couldn't get to that place where he fully surrendered and depended on God. See, the enemy is the father of lies. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded and be watchful. In other words, pay attention. Keep your eyes open. I think, you know, we blame the enemy, and, and so many times the enemy is not even operating. He's looking at the church going, oh, let's see what I can do here. And he's like, no, they're a mess already. I don't even need to step in here. Because we're so much a victim of our own flesh. Uh, we, we blame the devil for stuff that's just us. But the enemy's looking, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's a deeply philosophical case for evil. And it gets, it gets glossed over. Why is it you don't have to teach kids to be bad? You can have the you know, sweetest little baby, you know, right? Little kid, oh, it's my angel. And then you watch your angel knock your kid over the head with a block, right? You think your angel, when she's got three toys, or he's got three toys and sees three kids, goes, oh, look, there's three of us, there's three toys, everybody take one. No, mine. I don't have to work at being bad. 
I can hit autopilot and do the wrong thing all day long. I have to put no effort into that. Why is our default to live self-centered and to do the wrong thing? And why is it even people who fully like embrace that and live the most self-centered lives ever, it doesn't equate to happiness or fulfillment? Why is that? Because that's not how we are created to be. We're image bearers of God, and that image is tarnished by sin, and Christ restores that image. That's who we're created to be. So the best case for evil is our default is to do the wrong thing. You don't have to teach people to be bad. You have to teach them to be good. I don't have to work to be bad. I have to work to be good. He has to work in me. I posted a quote the other day, and it said, a luxury, it is a luxury to put our interests first. It is an honor to put the interests of others before our own. So for those of us who proclaim to be Christ followers, we know what integrity is. How do we live lives as integ- of integrity as followers of Jesus? Psalm 26, 2. And this should be part of our prayer life. Test me, O Lord, and examine my heart and mind. We should be honest in our prayer. We should ask the Lord, search me, Lord. Show me those things. Some things we know. But see, you know, we have like this back closet that's locked, double locked. And we come to God and he said, Lord, take 70% of me. He's like, okay, then you're going to be 15% effective. Instead of saying, Lord, search me. I'm going to open that door and it's scary and I'm afraid and I'm embarrassed and I'm disgusted, but I'm going to open that door because I trust you for forgiveness I trust that you have something better. See, I've said before that we all want to be fully known and fully loved, all of us, every single human being. And we think they're mutually exclusive. We think if everybody, if anybody really knew me, if they really knew everything about me, they couldn't possibly love me. And so we're fake. We put on a mask. You know how liberating it is to be like, here I am. And then God fully knows us and fully loves us. And yes, God loves you exactly where you are right now. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you are right now. The most liberating thing we can do. You know, people, I've I've always said before, I don't want to play church. The worst thing in the world is to be in that middle category where you just come and you play church. Oh, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm great. And then everybody's lives are falling apart. I want to be a place where we can have a Christ-centered authenticity. We can say, you know what? Right now, I'm a mess. I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? Would you walk with me? Would you, would you, discipleship takes place in relationships. Throughout the Bible, you'll find the words honesty, purity, truth, upright, all translated from the same words meaning integrity. They're all synonymous. That comes from spending time in the Bible with God. Because if you don't know the word, you'll be deceived. You know how many times people have said, I think that, is that in the Bible? I'll be like, no, I don't know where you heard that. Definitely not in the Bible. You'll be deceived. You'll hear things, and they'll sound kind of spiritual, and then you'll believe them. You don't know the word of God, you're going to be deceived. You don't know the word of God, you'll have no foundation. You don't know the word of God, you'll have no basis of understanding. And the way you think is then defined by man. And that changes. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. 
who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. See, if we take the time to be prayerful, to gather together, to study the Bible, to apply the truths we read into our lives, only then can we live lives of integrity. Because the Bible is the only standard that's true and unchanging. So what defines for you how you should live, what you should value, how you should conduct yourself? Is it God's word or is it culture? Is it your preferences? Because I know there's like an attempt to try to, you know, pull, pull it together. Well, what does everybody think together? Nothing. No, nobody agrees on anything ever. But the word of God is at odds with the system of the world. You can't take the American dream and stamp Jesus on it and make it Christian. You can't. Living for self, and, 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 and we said before, success in and of itself isn't bad. Money in and of itself isn't bad. It's not those things. It's that as an end all. If that's the goal, and the goal of the American dream is how much can I get? And I've said before, I think it was Andy Stanley who said, I wonder what I would buy if I didn't know what everybody else had. Right? The world says, take, get yours. You deserve it. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. The world says you're valuable if you're rich or you're beautiful or you're talented. Jesus says you're valuable because you're a child of God. Someone in the world may have said you're worthless. But the Bible says you're made in the image of God. You are precious. Zephaniah says he would dance over us. He would be gladly dancing over us with joy. That means our lives can bring joy. The world says if it feels good, do it. Jesus says offer yourself as a living sacrifice. See, many people claim to believe in Jesus, but they do the same thing the world does. They don't think differently, so they don't live differently. At least people who claim, who claim to follow Jesus and just live for self, who, I'm sorry, who don't claim to follow Jesus and live for self, at least they're honest. At least the people who say there is no God, at least they're honest. Paul said it in, the letter, in his letter to Colossians and his letter to the Philippians, and now he says the same thing in Ephesians. He emphasizes over and over again to his church family, live differently. You've been set free and you've been empowered to live differently. When he says to the Galatian church, what began in the spirit, are you now continuing in the flesh? In other words, you think you get saved by the grace of God and then he goes, all right, figure it out. Put in a lot of effort, do a lot of religious stuff, have at it. No, it's also by grace we're being made into the image of Jesus. That grace sustains everything. It's, it's a spiritual process. It's not in the flesh. Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord. Another, in other words, Paul's identifying himself. He's saying, I'm a bondservant to Jesus. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He proudly wears that title. I urge you to live a life worthy of the, call, of the calling you've received. And then he tells us how to do it. Be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, and on and on. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he talks about the giftings. And we said a few weeks ago, your gifts are never for you. Our gifts are for the church, for the glorification of God. For when we come together, you have gifts I don't. I have gifts you don't. And then in verse 14, it says, when you do that, when you serve and you reach, in verse 13, unity of the faith, unity and knowledge of the Son of God, it says, then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves 
and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. When you know the word of God, when you walk in a manner worthy of your calling, when you use your gift for the church, only then you're not going to be like a baby. I heard this, I heard that, I think this, I think that. You're going to be able to stand firm. We should be built up in the word and by the grace of Christ we should think different to act different. Ask the worship team to come up. John 12, 46 says, I have come into the world as a light, so no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I've come into the world as a light. Jesus was the best kind of teacher because he didn't just tell us how to live, but he showed us, he lived it. We grow into Christ together. That's why the church exists. Focus only on action leads to legalism. Focus only on action leads to legalism. No focus on action leads to worldliness. But focus on Christ and God's word leads to Christ-likeness. To me, one of the saddest scriptures in Matthew 7, 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Lord, didn't we say Jesus all the time? Didn't we, you know, give at church and show up? Didn't we do those things? And Jesus here, it says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, the one thing God wants, those other things, serving and giving and all that is a fruit, is a result of a relationship. The one thing he wants is your heart. He wants you. Not just what you can give and not just what you can do. He wants you. Fully surrendered. God does extraordinary, remarkable things through people, through people who say, here I am, Lord. Use me. He doesn't love us because we behave in a certain way. We behave in a certain way because we know he loves us and because we love him back. And if so if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you give your heart and your life to him. The best thing I ever did was give my life fully to Jesus. No question. I've made a lot of decisions in my life, most of them bad. That was the best one I've ever made. Charles Spurgeon said this about integrity. Being of good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you, were helped by you, will remember you when forgot-me-nots are withered. Carve your name on hearts and not on marble. Living with integrity is a life that makes a difference for Jesus, that brings him glory and honor. And it begins with us surrendering ourselves fully to him. And so just stand with me and as we worship together, just pray that the Lord would open your heart, that your spirit would receive, that you'd allow this word to penetrate and not ask what we can do separately, but what we can do together in Christ and with Christ. In his name I pray.